The problem with happiness, and I, and I got to tell you, this is something that you already know, I'm sure, but the problem with happiness, and Phyllis alluded to this, is happiness is always temporary. If you're here this morning and you're really happy, I'm glad, but I have bad news for you. It's temporary. If you're here this morning and you're depressed, I have good news for you. I'm sorry, but it's temporary. See, the, the thing about happiness is that it's fleeting. Happiness is a lie. Worldly happiness, anyway, is a lie because it's dependent on circumstances that are beyond our control. Something good happens to me, I get happy. Something good happens to the people I care about, I'm happy. Something bad happens to me, something bad happens to the people I care about, something external happens at work, something happens in, in my extended relationships that I can't really control, somebody gets mad at me for no reason at all, the happiness is gone. It's elusive. In a perfect world, happiness can't reign because the world is broken. It can't happen. And some of you know that. I mean, especially this time of year. I mean, let, let's be honest. Christmas is awful for some of you. And we've talked about this so many times here at this church that things aren't right, are they? The world is wrong. And we know that, like as Christians, we know. We know the world isn't right. We know things are off. We know there's good times, there's bad times, but somehow it's just not everything it's supposed to be. And occasionally we get glimpses into eternity, like where God will pull back the curtain and let us see what's going on. And, and we get this grand picture about how, how far apart we are. It's like the picture. How far apart we are from what it's supposed to be and, and what it really is. People get sick. That's not the way it's supposed to be. People die. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Parents leave us. That's bad. But when kids leave us, I mean, there, there's no way to even explain. It's not supposed to be that way. And we know that. And, it, and it's worse this time of year because we turn on the TV and there's the commercials and all the families are around the table and they're laughing and they're happy. And, and the kids, I don't know if your kids get along this well, but mine never do. They, they reach for the last, the last Pillsbury croissant. Oh, we'll split it. Yeah, right. That happens. But we see all of this and it's supposed to be great. And, and in reality, we know. Christmas... Listen, Christmas is a great time of year to really understand that this world is broken. And I know that's not the Christmas message that we're hoping to hear. I'll fix it for next week, I promise. Next week on Christmas Sunday, we'll have a much better... But, but Christmas is the time where we get this great picture that the world is broke. Because we see what it's supposed to be, and the grand majority of us just don't experience that. And even those of you that have that, that great family gathering and everybody's there, come on. You're about an hour in and you're ready to go home. Don't lie. If you're sitting next to your parents, you can, you can disagree with me vehemently, but if you're not sitting next to your parents, then you know. Then you know. Happiness is elusive. Happiness is hard to get hold of, and as soon as we get hold of it, it escapes. But happiness is never what this is about. 
This is where I have some argument with people that will preach at you about prosperity and that God wants you to have everything you've ever wanted and God wants to pour into your life everything that you've ever dreamed of. And God wants. The problem with that is that it's not based in Scripture. It's a nice feeling. If it were true, it would make me happy all the time, but it's not based in Scripture. But you know what's scriptural? Is joy. See, joy is something that transcends happy. Joy is permanent. Joy comes from knowing that even though my life doesn't look like it's supposed to look, that it's going to be okay. Joy transcends circumstance. See, here's the thing that I need you to know about joy. When your life isn't going well, it's okay. When somebody is hurting, it's okay. I'm never going to ask you to ignore those things. And God's never going to tell you to pretend that they're not real. But what he is going to tell you is that you can still have joy. You know why you can have joy? Because we know the ending. And everything is going to be okay. See, this is the point to joy. Joy isn't because I got my, as Phyllis says, joy isn't because I got my new car. Joy isn't because I got what I wanted to get. Joy isn't because I got a new job or I met the right guy or I met the right girl or, oh, my kids are healthy and happy. Joy isn't based in those things. Those things will make me temporarily happy. Joy is based in the fact that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he promises to do. And as we've been reading in Revelation this Advent season, as we're waiting for him to come back, we're waiting for everything he's promised to come to fruition. Remember, Advent is all about waiting. It's waiting for a significant person or event. And we are in perpetual Advent. We are waiting for God to do what we know is going to happen And we can have joy because we know the ending and we know it's going to be okay. See, joy transcends whatever circumstance you've got, whatever you're dealing with. And and we read about it in the book of Revelation. See, that's where we get. We've been walking through Revelations. We get today to Revelations 21. We're going to look at the seven verses and we see that joy transcends because we know the ending. And the ending is, spoiler alert, for the Christian, it's spectacular. For the Christian, the ending is everything that we've ever hoped it would be. And so we have joy even when our circumstances, our temporary circumstances, tell us we shouldn't. Let's get into the text here. We're going to break it down a little bit, and here's how it starts. This is John. Uh, This is towards the end of the book. This is the end of John's vision that he's having, and, and here's what happens. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. Now, here's the deal. We're going to look at this and, and we're going to have an argument. Are we talking literal, figurative? Like did the old earth and, and the old heaven really disappear? Is there really a new earth and a new heaven? And depending on how you read the book of Revelations, you're going to answer that. I'm going to tell you how I read the book of Revelations and we can have this grand discussion later if you want. This place that we live is temporary. This earth will not survive. It won't be because um, of a supernova. It won't be because of global warming. It won't be because of any of those things. This earth will not survive because I've been told by God that there will be a future moment where God will say, I'm done with this broken world. And there will be a new heaven and there will be a new earth. 
Okay? In fact, I'll remind you that all of the things that we deal with environmentally, those are temporary, and they are a result of sin in this world. We got hurricanes, we got tsunamis, we got global warming. I mean, you know, they're, they're, we got problems all over the place. We got earthquakes, we got tornadoes, we got floods. We know all about that stuff here in Vinton, right? We, we got all of this going on. Yeah, it's a problem, but the reason that all of that exists is because this world is broken and it's sinful. When sin entered the world, it didn't just enter into individuals. Sin broke God's perfect place, right? God made a perfect world, and he saw that it was good. He made people, and it was very good, and it was all set in motion, and then sin happened, and everything is broken, Not only is there conflict between the man and the woman, not only is there a sin nature now that is in part of every human being, not only all of these things, but the the earth is also cursed. And all of these things that happen are a result of a broken world that we live in. But God says it's going to be okay because in this moment, in the future, this day that's in the future, there will be a new heaven and a new earth because the old heaven and the old earth will pass away and the sea was also gone and it's, it's going to be new. And in case you think this is a brand new thought, like this has never occurred to anybody until the book of Revelations. Now, Isaiah talked about this. Look what Isaiah says in 65, 17. He says, uh, this is God talking through the prophet. He says, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. That there is a time coming when something so profoundly new will happen, something so good will happen, that nobody will ever even think of the old ones anymore. You know what that means? That we won't even think about the old earth anymore? That we won't even think about the... It means what you're going through now, regardless of the end of the spectrum that it's on, there will be a time. Oh, and by the way, that time will go on for eternity when you won't even think about it anymore. You know that grief that you're dealing with right now? the grief that you're carrying with you that feels like it will never go away, that is so unbearable. It is soul-crushing grief. Listen to me. There is a time that is coming that will go for eternity where you, it's, it's not like you'll get to that point where you say, well, it's all worth it. No, no. There's a time coming where you won't even remember it anymore. And for perspective, the great things that are going, things are going to be so good that you won't remember those either. This earth is passing away. It doesn't mean that we will literally forget about them, but what it means is that there'll be no emotional attachment to the grief that that weighs me down now because everything will be so good moving forward. He continues, not only is there going to be a new heaven and a new earth, but, but... Verse 2 says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So we get this idea here, and there's a lot of imagery there with the bride and, and, and the beautifully dressed. But what I want you to focus on is this idea that what's going to happen here in this moment in history, what's going to happen here is that now God is going to dwell with his people. 
That's what he says. He says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Remember, that was what God's intention always was. God's intention was always to dwell with his people. And now, at this point in time, it's happening. In Revelation 21, 2, he says, I see this, the new heaven, the new earth, and there's a new Jerusalem, which is where God made his home. That's why the temple was there. And God's intention was always to be there with his people, but the people's sinfulness always pushed him out. In fact, this has happened throughout history. This is what he says. Look, look Genesis 3.8. It says, When the cool of evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. The intention in Genesis, the intention from creation was for God to be with his people. But what do we know in Genesis 3? Sin jacks that up. Sin messed the whole thing up. God wanted to be with his people. His people were sinful. God then could no longer be with his people. See, some of you have this idea that eventually everybody's going to be okay. We've talked about this in a different, couple of different contexts before, but some of you have this idea that eventually everything is going to be all right, that everyone will get to heaven, that eventually Every person that lives or that has ever lived or that ever will live will eventually get to be with God in heaven. That eventually that's the way that it's going to work out. Guys, it just isn't true. And the reality here that we see in Genesis 3 and then we see it again in Leviticus 26 and then we see the, the culmination of it happening in Revelations 21 is that no, it's God's desire it's God's desire, but sinfulness will always drive a wedge between God and people. See, Genesis 3, he's walking in the garden with the people he created, the apple of his eye, his pride and joy. He creates Adam and Eve, and it is very good. Creation was good. That was, all, that was nice. It was good. But this is very good, and these people are made in my image, and this is something special, and he walks with them in the cool of the day, and then they sin, and they hide from him, and the relationship is twisted and broken. But then he provides for them again through the person of Abraham. And, and he creates a, a system, a sacrificial system in a chosen people all the way through Moses and through the wanderings. And they set up a system, a temple in Jerusalem. And God says, follow me and I will live among you. That's what's happening in Leviticus through Moses. And, and he's saying, look, if you will do what you're supposed to do, I will live among you. I won't despise you. I'll walk among you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Do what we've asked to do. And you're like, well, but what about the sin? Well, there's the sacrificial system that covers the sin. They, they said that's the whole reason there's a temple. It sets up this whole system where you as a sinner can be right with God because you can offer sacrifices to God and then you can come into his presence and we can have a relationship. And God says, there in Jerusalem, I will be with you through these people. That'll be a blessing to the whole nation. I'll be with you. I'll walk with you. I'll be your friend. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. But what do we know? That gets messed up too. Because sin happens. And the people turn away from God and they follow other gods and they sacrifice to other gods. And they, they decide that they want to be in charge of themselves. And so they, they do what they want and they, they, they completely reject the God who sets this up. That's what's happening. But finally, 
we keep reading Revelation 21.3. Finally, there's a point in human history when, when this will no longer be the case, that God will finally have, and I'm going to say this, and it's going to sound weird, but there's going to be a point in human history where God will finally have his way. And I know it sounds weird because we think, well, God always gets his way. Yeah, but God has been patient for this moment where God will finally have his way. This is the, the moment he says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people once and for all. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. This is the moment that God has been planning for. This is the moment that God has been waiting for that was broken in Genesis and that God reminded them that this, they could have this in Leviticus through this sacrificial system. But, but the Israelites threw it away. But now, he says, look, this is the moment where God will literally be among you. And the reason this happens is because of Jesus. The reason this happens is because of Jesus. Because this new system, sin is no longer a part of it. Because of Jesus. Because I'm not making a sacrifice once to cover the sin in my past and, and, and making a plan to come back and offer another sacrifice later to cover the sin in my past. But Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. He is the once for all sacrifice. So those of us that are in Christ, those of us that have submitted and surrendered and are following Jesus, there is no sin. And God says, I, I will be your people. Or you will be my people. I will be your God. You'll be with me and, and, and I'll be physically, I'll be with you and it'll happen and it'll be in this new time, in this new place. This is God, everything coming to fruition. This is what he's been waiting for, right? This is the moment that God has been planning for, right? The time where he can be with his people. This is it and it's coming. Oh, and by the way, it's where joy comes from. The fact that the God of the universe has made provision and is making steps for this future day when he will be with you is, is a big deal. The problem is we tend to forget we tend to forget to look ahead to this. See, I know a lot of Christians it's, it's, it's one of my things as a pastor, right? I get to know a lot of Christians. And most Christians spend no time or relatively little time thinking ahead. Christians tend to live in the past. People, people in general, tend to live in the past. And Christians aren't, by and large, a whole lot better. Part of the reason why we spend our Advent looking ahead is because we need to be better at looking ahead at what's to come. And God says, this grand thing is coming. I mean, we tracked this week one of Advent. We saw there will be a time when the world system will stop, right? There will be a time when God will institute end time things, when God will say, okay, the time for the culmination of human history is now, where Jesus will take the scroll as only he can do, and he's qualified because of the blood that he shed on the cross. And he takes the scroll and he opens the scroll and it begins the end. And then we read about this other time where, where, where Jesus will, will then be on the throne and people will worship him, okay? And death will be defeated. And now we're reading again about this time when 
the new heaven and the new earth will come into place, that everything will be fixed. You, you get the imagery of the new heaven and the new earth. Basically, this is the culmination of Satan losing everything. Here's what it says. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's what 12.4 says as it continues. There will be new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. God will be with his people and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be death or sorrow or crying or pain. All those things will be gone forever. I need you to think about that for a second. Gone. Think about what hurts your heart. As a parent, the grand majority of my anxieties are about my kids. Close second, you guys. But there will be a time where there will be no need for anxiety. Because everything that hurts my heart for my kids or that hurts my heart for... for you guys, for, for the church, it'll be gone. The death? Uh-uh. Pain? <laughs> Disappeared. Tears? There won't be any reason for tears. Those of you here that are parents, think about those moments when you pick up your kids and you offer them comfort. Where they sit in your arms, they sit on your lap, Husbands, think about times maybe when you've done this for your spouse. Wives, for your husbands. Uh, but you get this picture where, where you hold them and you tell them, everything is going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay. And you know what? I tell my kids that all the time. The problem with that? Temporarily? I can't promise it. Like, everything is going to be okay. Except you're going to go to school tomorrow and you're going to have the same issues. Right? People are, people are still going to be hard to get along with. Kids are still going to be difficult. You know, schoolwork is still going to be hard. And think about conversations Carrie said with me when Carrie says, Matt, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. You know? But yet the reality is that the next day is going to look strikingly like the day I just finished. And those problems are still going to be there. So what are we talking? We say everything is going to be okay. It's because we have this promise. It's because we have God telling us, look, everything is going to be okay. And there is going to be a day when I will wipe away every tear. Every tear from your eyes I will wipe. There won't be reason for you to cry any longer. That every pain will be gone. All of the hurt will be finished. There will be no sorrow because there will be no death. Everything will be gone forever. I want you to, I want you to understand, oh, where are we at? Clumsy fingers. All suffering will be gone because all suffering is unnatural. See, there's something that we need to understand here is that when you're struggling with, with any kind of suffering, whether it's people to people suffering, whether it's health suffering, whether it's financial suffering or work suffering or death suffering, whatever suffering you're dealing with, get this, it's unnatural. It was never supposed to be. 
It's all a result of this broken system that we live in. And when God brings a new heaven and a new earth, and he says, now this is the moment where I'm with my people and they're with me and I'll wipe away everything. It's all wiped away because it was never supposed to be in the first place. It was never supposed to be. We did that. Our brokenness, our sin nature did that. And God says, but there's a moment where it's going to be gone forever. And the absence of everything wrong is just another clear indication about how complete Christ's victory is. It happened on the cross. And remember, we talked about this. What's lingering, okay, what's lingering now is, is the skirmishes that we deal with after the war has been finished. But the war is over. Christ conquers on the cross. And there is this moment that's coming where everything that was accomplished here will now be completely present here. And that's where joy comes from. Listen, I need you to understand, we've talked about this before. This is Alexander. He is going to have, this is the, the first page of the book, and he woke up and he is going to have a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day because he went to sleep with gum in his mouth and he woke up and there's gum in his hair, right? And he got out of bed this morning and he tripped on the skateboard by mistake and he dropped a sweater in the sink while the water was running and he could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it gets worse because in the next page he goes down to eat breakfast, Right? And Anthony got a, a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box. And Nick got an undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box. But in Alexander's breakfast cereal box, all he got was breakfast cereal. And in the carpool, he had to sit in the middle. Teacher didn't like his picture of the invisible castle. I mean, it's just all bad. But when God says, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and no one will remember the old ones anymore. And when God says, there will be no more tears, and there will be no pain, and there will be no heartache, and there will be no loss, and there will be no sadness, and there will be none of those, none of that will happen here in this new place. None of it, because it's gone and it's abolished forever. Listen to me. I don't care. Your, your whole life could be like Alexander's day. There's a time coming when that will pale in comparison to what's next. I don't know where you're at this morning, and some of you I know are really struggling. There is a day coming where there is no pain, there is no heartbreak, where everything is right. It's what's happening. And you may have a lifetime full of these kinds of days, but there's a day coming where they will not exist any longer. And here's the promise I make you, that everything that's temporary will pale in comparison to what to come. It's not just that, it's, it's not just that okay, well, all of the, the old stuff, there's no more pain, it'll go away, but, but it's that what happens here is so good that it's all gone and that, that it won't hurt you. Sometimes we get this idea, too, about heaven that it's like, well, I'll get to heaven as a Christian. I'll get to heaven, and, and there will be no more pain. Like, it won't happen to me again. The loss won't happen again. The hard problems that I had with my spouse won't happen to me again. The difficulties won't happen again. 
but we, we have this idea that we get to hold on to all of our past stuff. When God says there won't be any more of that, he means there won't be any more of that. It is gone for good. This is the reality. Okay, this is what we, we have to look forward to. This is where joy comes from. See, joy comes from knowing that this is the way that it is. Maybe not yet, but as a Christian, you have got an entire eternity ahead of you where it's going to be this good that makes your terrible, awful, horrible, no good, very bad day seem insignificant. And I know that stinks for me to say. I mean, that sucks for me to say that about some of your things that you're going through. When I say, oh, it's going to be so insignificant, I, I know I don't have the right to say that because I know they hurt. But if you'll allow me, scripturally, there is a moment in time where they will be so insignificant that you won't remember that hurt anymore. God continues, he says, and and the one sitting on the throne said, that's God, he says, look, I am making everything new. Everything is going to be new. Nothing will be old. Nothing will be broken. This is what he's basically saying here is, look, there is a time when the new normal will be better than anything you've ever thought of, and that will be the new normal. I'm making everything new. And then he says to John, write this down. And we're happy he did because we have it. He said, write this down, John, because people need to know what's happening in the future. Write this down because people need to know where their joy comes from. People need to know that we conquer. People need to know that death and sorrow and sin have no place and everything is going to be good. People need to know. And then he says this thing, which should sound crazy familiar. He says, it's finished. He says, it's finished. He says, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Who is God to say that it's finished? Well, he gets to decide that it's finished because it's his. He is the beginning of all things. All things happen because he speaks them into existence. By his will, everything is created. And you know what? When he wants, and you're like, man, Matt, how is that going to work? A new heaven and a new earth. I mean, we're on this earth, and so what's going to happen is, I mean, where do we go when they make the... This is the guy who creates everything by the power of his word and his thought. Don't get hung up on details. But he says, I'm making everything new. Trust me. And he says, it's finished. I'm the beginning and the end. I decide, and I say that it's done, and it's finished. It's over. This is the end. By the way, in case you're wondering about prophetic vision, this is it. This is the, this is the culmination of what we are waiting for right here. There is nothing after this that we're waiting for. There's nothing to come. There, there's, no other, there's, there's no other revelation that tells us what happens. This is, this is <laughs> we've got eternity after this. He says it's finished. For us, it's the end. For him, he says it's finished. It's the new normal. It's where you are. And then eternity just goes and goes and goes in this perfect relationship and this perfect existence where there's no sorrow, there's no pain, there's no suffering. People are like, what's heaven going to be like? I don't know. 
but I know it's going to be good. And he finishes with, to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of water of life. All who are victorious, I will inherit, uh, will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. One more quick thing I have to tell you about those of you that are convinced that everybody gets there. Everybody gets there eventually. That's not what I read. To all are thirsty, I will give from the springs of the water of life. That is eternal life that God is offering. It sounds very similar to what he says to the Samaritan woman in John 4, the woman at the well, right? He says, if you, you know, he's like, hey, give me a drink of water. And then he's like, but, but I don't really want a drink of water. Instead, I want you to ask me for water because I'll give you water that will never go out. You'll never be thirsty again. And of course, he's not talking about literal water He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about this idea that you will have this life that will never be quenched. You'll have joy, unexplainable joy. In the midst of everything gone wrong, you'll have joy. But it's to those who are victorious, to those who overcome. How do we overcome? Well, we read this earlier. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by submitting to and following Jesus. If you're here this morning and you don't know and you don't follow Jesus, then unfortunately these promises aren't for you. And that sounds mean, it sounds harsh, but it's just the reality. I didn't put this on the screen, but let me read for you the very next verse. These promises are grand, aren't they? New heaven, new earth, God with his people, tears wiped away, no sorrow. You want the living water, you ask for the living water, you overcome by the power of the living water, this is it. And I wish that was it, but I got to read this next part to you. But cowards, unbelievers, and corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Yay, Christmas. Those aren't my words. This is a promise that is spectacular. It's what we look forward to. It's where our hope is. It's where our joy is. But you got to have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus then this isn't for you. And if you don't have Jesus and you're curious, hey, how do I get Jesus? It's really simple. You say, Jesus, I want you. I submit to you. I follow you. I'm going to live my life for you. I know I'm broken and I know you can fix me. It's a simple exchange. And that is a daily commitment to follow Jesus. Okay? But here's what I need you to know. Grace is good. And joy happens because Jesus happens. That's it. I mean, that is the reality of it. You want to know, how do I find this joy? How do I, wow, that's really come, I'm going to blow these out. How many, was that making people nervous? Okay, all right, whatever. Um, here's the deal. Joy happens because Jesus happens. And you want to know, Matt, okay, I, I get it. It's all in the future. It's all going to happen. It's all fine and good. There will be a day, but what about right now? What about right now? I'll tell you this. You want to know how to have joy right now? As you look at Jesus, last thing, Hebrews 12, 2 says this, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He is the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting for, he endured some awful stuff. 
because of the joy awaiting him. He endured things that we can't begin to imagine. He endured pain, suffering, death. He, but you know what else he endured? He endured this separation. Some of you are like, but, but I, I, I miss. There's loss. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Jesus, who, who had been one with the triune God from forever, in that moment experienced separation from the Godhead. Jesus on the cross not only experiences the physical pain and suffering of the crucifixion, but he experiences this emotional separation. Remember, he says, God, why have you forsaken me? Because God turned his back on Jesus. You're like, but Matt, I miss, right? I've got pain. I, I, I have loss. I know you do. I know you do. So did Jesus. And he tells us, you know how to have joy? Put your eyes on Jesus. Everything that you're going to deal with, Jesus dealt with. And he's victorious. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And it's very simple. So we're going to sing that. We're just going to sing that chorus. That's all we're going to do is sing that chorus. You don't need the words up there. You don't need it. Just it's, turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And we, we, you can play. You don't have to. We just sing along. It's just this chorus. But as we sing this, this is what I want you to do. I want you to drill down on this one simple thing. Jesus is the answer for all of this. The reason we celebrate Christmas, it's Jesus. The reason that we can have joy, it's Jesus. The reason that we know things are going to get better, the reason we know the ending and the ending is awesome and everything is going to be okay is Jesus. And, and so as we sing today, we just simply sing about Jesus as a reminder for us to turn completely our eyes on him. All right, you ready? Let's just stand and we'll sing this last, uh, just this little stanza here, and then uh, we'll go in peace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory. really that simple. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's all we need to do. I'm going to ask you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, okay, it's not complicated. Thanks for bearing with us this morning on a day that's a little goofy. Thanks for coming out to worship today on a day that's cold. I'm so thrilled that you could be here to worship with us. Reminder that we have a Christmas Eve service um, next Saturday night at 7 o'clock. If you don't have a place to be, there's a great place for us to come and worship together as a family. And we'll be having regular Christmas service on Sunday as normal. Have a great rest of your day.